Welcome, everyone, to the Five Solas Podcast. I am your host, James Watkins, and we are a podcast of the Christian Podcast community. I have to tell you, I am very, very excited about the material that we have coming to you guys within the next few months. Um, I've already got a lot of topics picked out, a lot of things that I want to go over. Um, we're going to be doing everything from uh, from creationism, um, the sufficiency of Scripture in creation. Um, we're going to do some testimonials. I'm going to have some people come on and share their testimonies and uh, just just tell you guys how God graciously saved them from their sin. Of course, everything that we that we say regarding our testimony is to the glory of God. Um, we are within the next few months. We're going to do uh, kind of a marriage um, series. It's probably going to be three or four weeks. I haven't really decided on how much material I want to do, but I do know that my wife is going to come on to an episode with me. We're going to kind of share uh, a little bit of our story uh, of our marriage and uh, and and the way that God has you know really taught us uh, patience. Um, I'm excited about doing that. I have a few guests that'll come on to kind of discuss marriage, the biblical roles within marriage, etc. Very excited about that. Um, not only that, but the entire month of April, um, usually what I'm going to do is I am going to release about three podcasts every single month. There's going to be some months I'll release more. April is going to be one of those. I am going to be releasing five episodes in the month of April because I want to do a tulip series. I'm very, very excited about that. We're going to discuss the theology behind Tulip, how the reformers uh, taught the doctrines to us, uh, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. I am so excited about that. Um, as a matter of fact, I already have October planned out uh, as well for, for a series that we're going to do there. I'm not going to give away too much information on that just yet. Let's just say I'm very excited. With that said, um, I do have a topic that I want to discuss this evening, this morning, this afternoon, whatever time you listen to it. Uh, everybody listens at different times, so I don't ever know what to really say. Do I say this morning? Do I say this evening? It's evening time when I'm recording it. What I want to talk about this evening, and I kind of went back and forth on this. I went back and forth. Do I want to wait until the podcast is a little bit more popular before I address such a major topic? But I really don't want to wait no more. Um, This is a topic that I am incredibly, incredibly passionate about. It's the topic of abortion. Uh, so obviously we all know what abortion is. It's, uh, it's the termination of a pregnancy. It's, and I'm just going to go ahead and right up front, I'm going to call it exactly what it is. It's murder. The topic of abortion is incredibly graphic within its nature. It's one I have very, again, I have very strong convictions of. I get a little bit more into why I'm convicted of it in just a moment. Um, you know, it's been roughly about a year, maybe a year and a, a few months since I was made the intern slash uh, associate pastor at the church that I'm at now, Devereux Baptist Church. And, you know, I've preached roughly over that time. I preach once a month, sometimes more than that. But, you know, I've probably preached about 25, 30 sermons or so. And what I've done is there's two sermons that I've preached that have that have been just incredibly burdensome to me, very, very draining spiritually. The first one was a, a sermon that I did on suicide. Um, of course, if you've listened to my testimony, you know why that's kind of uh, heavy for me, very burdensome. The topic of abortion uh, is one that I've done. Uh, actually, if you're listening to this as of uh, the end of February or March, whenever, it was just uh, a few weeks back, I preached a sermon on abortion, and I made absolutely no apologies for calling abortion exactly what it is. Even told them um, that, you know, in some way or shape or form, I'm sure that someone in the congregation was going to be offended. I don't know if that was the case because the the sermon was received with a, a pretty good response, very good response, actually. Got a lot of uh, compliments on the sermon. Uh, I enjoyed preaching it in the sense that I love 
love standing on the foundation of God's word, but I was very burdened to preach it as well because of the topic of it just being the murder of children within the womb. You know, this is a this is a topic that's very controversial in conversation, especially in our culture today. But, you know, I, I really and truly think that this is a lot simpler than it's made. Um, it should be a conversation that is very black and white. But, you know, it seems like a lot of people, uh, people specifically on the left or I mean, even professing Christians, that there is a gray area in the conversation. And it's very, very, very scary whenever you get to that gray section. Um, it's become a major discussion in politics. And even John MacArthur, um, who I studied, did a little bit of study on whenever I was putting my sermon together. John MacArthur made a very good point in that he said parties which used to differ on economics now differ dramatically on issues that invade the realm of God's law and issues of morality. So I'm going to address uh, in the episode today um, a couple of a couple of different things. Um, number one, I'm going to address um, the legalization of full-term abortion in the state of New York. That was a few weeks back. I believe it was in uh, late January, February, somewhere around that time. Also going to address an article that I run across. Um, I'll get a little bit more into that because I really want to move into the topic of abortion. But the guys in New York uh, for the legalization of full-term abortion, they basically say full-term abortion is permitted if the mother's life is in danger. So they qualify what they mean for full-term abortion and try to make it seem like they are allowing it for a greater good. Makes no sense whatsoever. But the law in New York uh, previously, from everything that I've read, allowed abortion for the reason of the mother's life being in danger up to 24 weeks. So now, based on the current law, an abortion can be carried out literally right before a child is born. And there's a lot of different areas that we need to tackle. Um, more than a, more than a, a 30, 40 minute episode can can allow, but we'll go as far as we can. But before we really dive into uh, depth on this issue, you know, maybe you're listening to this podcast, you're not too familiar with abortion, you're not too familiar with defenses against proponents of abortion. So I do want to give you a little bit of framework on this. I'm going to, you know, basically be kind of introductory for you in a, in a, in a ways. Um, but what is abortion? Uh, when does life actually begin? Is there ever a time where abortion is permissible? And with that question, everyone listening right now probably had an answer pop into their head directly, yes or no. And, you know, maybe you were in that little bit of that gray area. Uh, you know, is there ever a time where abortion is permissible? And maybe you were like, yes or no. Or maybe you were saying, you know, maybe there is instances where it's permissible. So we're going to address that. Does the topic of abortion actually matter in the context of the church? If so, what responsibility does the church have? What responsibility do we have individually? And perhaps most importantly, how do we evangelize those who are considering abortion? How do we evangelize those who have had an abortion? So those are some of the areas that we are going to be addressing uh, in this episode. So let's start with definition. You know, we're not going to spend too much time on introduction because we're going to move into a little bit more of the meat of it. But what is abortion? The definition given in the dictionary, literally the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy, most often performed during the first 28 weeks of pregnancy. That's the definition given in the dictionary. Here's the thing. A baby born prematurely around 28 weeks old with medical advances can survive outside of the womb. I've seen a video just today of a, of a baby that was born very, very prematurely at 25 weeks, and the baby was surviving. That's the miracle of modern science. Now, here's the thing. The 25-week-old baby or 28-week-old baby... If we were to stick a knife in the heart of the child outside of the womb, it would be first-degree murder. But if it's done in the womb, it is called what? Reproductive rights. Now, here are some 
quit statistics. In the United States, there are more than 1.2 million abortions every single year. And since the legalization of abortion, some 40 years ago now, there have been over 40 million abortions. We are talking about just the United States here. And get this, one out of every three women will have an abortion. Now, let's look at abortion with the proper words from a biblical worldview. What is abortion? Abortion is the murder of an unborn baby that can now, in some areas, be legally performed right up until the birth of the baby. In the United States, more than 1.2 million babies are murdered every single year. I'm not going to shy away from that word, murder. And since the legalization of this heinous practice some 40 years ago, there have been over 40 million image bearers of God murdered in the womb. One out of every three women will have their baby murdered. That's what abortion is from a biblical worldview. Now, let's give a little bit more of a perspective on this. Whenever I did my uh, sermon on abortion, um, I named the sermon, A Modern Holocaust. Um, Ray Comfort has done a tremendous film on this. You can get it on YouTube, I believe. Uh, it's 180 where it discusses abortion. It makes the same comparison. But just to give you a little bit more perspective on this act of abortion, the Nazis murdered 6 million Jews and 5 million non-Jews during the Holocaust, a period of about five years, making the bloodbath of abortion more than on par with the Holocaust. It far surpasses it, especially when you consider the worldwide numbers. Because remember, we only went over the United States. And here's the thing. We look at the heinous crimes of the Holocaust, the actions of Adolf Hitler. We are quick to condemn those actions. Even most who are proponents of abortion are very quick to condemn this terrible point in history. But yet they are completely for abortion. It's so inconsistent. Now, abortion is a movement that's proudly proclaimed my body, my choice. Though the irony here is that it isn't the woman's body being dismembered. It's the baby. And that baby has absolutely no choice in the matter. And what about the female babies in the womb? I guess uh, my body, my choice doesn't apply to them. Um, it, this is a movement that has demonstrated on the streets with signs saying, shout my abortion. It's a terrible, terrible celebration of a disdain for human life and the value each life possesses. The only thing, whenever people are shouting on the corners, they shouldn't be saying, shout my abortion. They should be shouting, asking God for forgiveness. The difference is, with all of this, is when we say life begins. If life begins at conceptions, the proponents for abortion are kind of cornered. They call a baby in the womb a fetus to remove its dignity as a human being, but all they're doing is speaking Latin. Isn't that something? They're speaking Latin and using a word in Latin that literally means little one or child or get this, baby. Though scientifically speaking, biblically speaking, life begins at conception. You know, I just want to go back to this fetus thing. This is the hypocrisy. Whenever they say that a fetus is not a baby, what they are really saying is that a baby is not a baby. <laughs> the sign that's pro-murder, they'll say that life begins at different points at the stage in a pregnancy. Some will say life doesn't begin until the baby is actually born and outside of the womb. Now, the scary part here is, especially in the political realm, is that proponents of abortion like Hillary Clinton, you know what, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a Trump fan because I'm not. But uh, I am so, so thankful to God that Hillary Clinton did not get into office because literally this woman believes that abortion can be carried out. Literally, the baby's head is still 
in the womb. Uh, if the baby has not been fully extracted from the womb, if the head's still in there, you know, she still has this belief that you can jam a pair of scissors in the back of the neck, stabbing the baby and killing the baby. How terrible is that? How wicked is that? That is total depravity, which we're going to be talking about in April. Um, now, here's the other scary part is that there are some proponents of abortion who will admit that it's a baby in the womb, that it's an actual human being in the womb, but it's okay to murder that baby. Now, I'm not going to uh, make any kind of claim that I am a biology expert, but I took enough biology and science within the public school system through high school and college to know that whenever fertilization happens, the zygote is composed of its own human DNA. The genetic makeup is fully present. It is a new human that is simply in development. The pro-life view is that the unborn are human beings just like you and me. And that's why it is wrong to murder the child. And we know that it's wrong to murder because that law of God is written on each individual heart. And we can logically realize murder is a violation of the image that we are created in. Now, where does this come from? Why does abortion happen? Sin is the obvious answer. We're going to look at the scripture. Let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 3. Just look at verses 14 through 15 really quick. Uh, To give context to this, this is immediately after the fall of man. If you recall, God commanded Adam and Eve to not eat of the tree. They ate of the tree and their eyes were what? They were open. This is at the point where spiritual death occurred and physical death entered into creation as a result as well. So now in verses 14 through 15, you have God speaking to the serpent, the deceiver here. Uh, Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, we have some very interesting points that we need to make from Genesis uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, and we are going to do that right after this quick break. Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report is a podcast providing biblical interpretations and applications. It is a ministry of striving for eternity and part of the Christian podcast community. We provide a biblical view of cultural events, discuss how to apply God's word to the Christian life, address issues that concern the church, and we even take some time to offer a correct understanding of those commonly misinterpreted passages of scripture. You will hear from great guests like Justin Peters, Todd Friel, Jay Warren Wallace, and Gabe Hughes. Andrew has the Rap Report Daily, which is a two-minute Monday through Friday podcast, and then the longer Rap Report podcast for more content. Subscribe to both today by searching for Rap Report on any podcast app, spelled R-A-P-P, Report, or click the podcast link at strivingforeternity.org. All right, welcome back to the 5S Podcast. Now, we were just going over Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, speaking on the topic of abortion and why this reality of abortion is present. So we read that there is now enmity between the offspring of Satan and the offspring of the woman. And understand this, the reality of abortion is spiritual warfare. It is a part of the enmity spoken of in Genesis 3, the verses 14 through 15. It's a direct attack. And a violation of the image of God. And according to the book of Jeremiah, God knew Jeremiah before he was even formed in the womb. And of course, we know that God knows all of us before we were formed in the womb. Our life does not begin out in the open and visible to human eyes where we take our first breath and shriek our first cry. It begins in the very secrecy of the womb. If you look to... uh, 
Psalm 139 verses 13 through 15. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. You know, we really need to understand that Satan is a murderer. He was a murderer from the very beginning. Abortion is satanic. There's no other way to put it. He moved Cain to kill Abel. He moved in the days of Moses. He moved in the days of Jesus. And you know what? He he moved so relentlessly. Uh, he wanted to kill all of the young children of Egypt because of the fear that a deliverer would come. And then he wanted to kill all of the two-year-old and under babies in and around Jerusalem for fear that the king had come. And many were killed as a result of this. So, so let's move into uh, this right here. Does the topic of abortion actually matter? If yes, what's the responsibility of the body of Christ? And yes, this topic matters very, very much. No, the Bible never specifically addresses the issues of abortion, but there are many, many teachings that make it very clear what God's view of abortion is. And whatever God thinks about abortion, we should likewise think the same thing. So with that said, God in one of the Ten Commandments says in Exodus 20 uh, verse 13, you shall not murder. Pretty straightforward, right? You can say, well, that's a matter of a opinion to call it murder since there's no unanimous consensus on when life becomes life. Yeah, that, that sounds all well and good, but scientifically that's uh, disproven. But, you know, it's the same argument, just a different time in history. During the Holocaust, they weren't considered people. They are people. They're Jews. It's okay to murder them. During slavery, it's not a person. That's a slave. Who cares if they live or die? This is why we can't necessarily always lean on the law to get it right. Not the law of God. I'm not speaking of the law of God. Don't don't twist that up, please. But this is why we can't lean on the law to get it right. It was acceptable by a large group of people to murder the Jews, and it was deemed moral. It was acceptable by a large group of people that slavery was okay, and it was moral. Therefore, it's legal. You can't rely on the laws of men to get it right. But the law of God, here's the thing, and we need to, we understand this, but the law of God never changes, and that's the foundation that we rest upon. Now, I want to be clear on something, some, and I told this to the congregation when I preached this, uh, preached on the topic of abortion, and here's the thing, and I want to be very, very clear whenever I say this, I do not care whatsoever what man has to say about this issue. I firmly hold to Sola Scriptura. That's why we're called the 5S Podcast, the 5 Solas Podcast. Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Solas Crisis, Sola Deo Gloria, Sola Scriptura. It means that the scriptures contain all that is necessary for salvation and proper living before God. My authority, your authority, is scripture. Who cares if the world rejects it? It doesn't make it any less true. The only thing that poor from the lips of man is impurity and deceit. I couldn't care less what, whenever man says that life begins or when they declare abortion is not murder. I don't care what man says. Man, by the way, are the only ones to kill what is in the womb. No other animal or species on the planet does this or desires this. Doesn't that speak of our depravity? The irony is if we were to do to a dog or to a cat what we do to unborn babies within the womb, it would be considered animal cruelty and we would more than likely go to jail. But if you do it to a woman, it's women's rights. So what does God say? That's what we should really and truly care about here. Who cares if the world rejects it? The word of God is our sword. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but for believers, it is the power of what? God. Why are we afraid to use it and to stand on it before the world? Scripture is sufficient. What does God say? Well, first of all, God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, that we shall not murder. And what do we have? We have assassins going into the womb, a place that is supposed to be safe, and killing 
babies. What responsibility does the church have? What responsibility do we have individually? Well, to proclaim the gospel. All of us have a hand in the fight, whether it's, you know, it's prayer, financial, opening up our homes, uh, offering resources to others so that they don't go through with the with killing their babies, there's always something we can do. Um, look to the work that Apologia Church, Jeff Durbin, look at the work that they're doing with abortion. I commend them on the work that they're doing. And you know, if you look to uh, the 14th Amendment, the Constitution says no person shall be deprived of life. No person shall be deprived of life without due process of law. What is the due process for an infant in the womb? You know, on January 22nd, 1973, uh, Roe v. Wade, the courts got it very, very wrong, and ignored the reality of life beginning at conception, which is when life begins. Men got it wrong, just like they did with the Jews, just like they did with legalizing slavery. Not only is conception when life begins, but let's understand, conception is an act of God. God personally is the creator of every single life. You hear people all the time say that they made a baby, but we need to clear that up. God created a baby, but used you as the agent in which that baby come into this world. And let's point out another consistency. A woman can go to a doctor 20 weeks pregnant and by law can have her baby murdered. And there is absolutely no penalty for this. Uh, The same woman can be on the way, and this is an analogy that I gave in the sermon, the same woman can be on the way to the abortion clinic with the intent to kill her baby. Let's just say 28 weeks. But along the way, she stops to get gas, gets robbed, and someone murders her, resulting in her death, as well as the death of the unborn baby in the womb. And the person who murdered her will be charged with, what, double homicide. And I have not once seen anyone deal with this inconsistency in a logical and consistent manner. Because you can't. Only the Christian worldview can account for this heinous crime. We would uh, say that both the mother and the child in the womb are created in the image of God, and because of this, their lives matter, and they are deserving of respect and dignity and protection. And if someone commits such a heinous act, such as murder, they should face judgment. And, you know, you can look even to Exodus 21, uh, verses 22 through 25. I'm not going to read that out, but if, re- if you read those verses, you'll see that that's that's the way that a child's viewed uh, is that they're precious in the sight of the Lord. Um, Psalm chapter 127 verse 3 tells us that children are a gift from the Lord. He is in control of all life that comes into being, and he is in control of all who are not able to conceive, as we see uh, examples of this, particularly in the Old Testament of barren women. And, you know, to be completely honest with you, this is why I have a passion on this topic. Um, my wife and I, we have been married now for uh, more than a little bit more than five years. We're going on six years in November. And we have been trying to conceive on our own now for every, pretty much ever since we got married. There's been some medical issues, some things that we need to uh, take care of. She's had she's had surgery. You know, she's been on medication. You know, God just hasn't blessed us with a child at this point. We have never been told, we've not been told once that it is impossible for us to conceive. But there are some issues that we have to take care of from a medical standpoint in order to, to make that process uh, happen. But, you know, of course, I understand that God is in full control of all life that comes into the world. So it used to really be a burdensome thing for us until we really came to grips with the sovereignty over this uh, matter. So this is why I am particularly uh, passionate about this topic of abortion is that we see people, we've, we, you know, even, even family who have pondered abortion after getting pregnant, you know, it angers both of us because, you know, there's a realization that, you know, they want to sit there and they want to murder a gift given to them by God. And, 
yet we haven't been blessed with that. It's something that we desire so much. Uh, the Lord hasn't blessed us in that area yet, but it does anger us whenever we see someone being given such a precious gift and they want to destroy it. Um, the only thing that we can say, you know, whenever that comes up is please do not kill your baby. We'll adopt your baby. We will raise your baby. We'll give the baby all the love that it could ever need and then some. Going back to the fact that uh, Psalm 127.3, it tells us that children are a gift from the Lord. Uh, constant control of all life that comes into being. He's in control of all who are not able to conceive. Going back to the Old Testament, we see it with Sarah, we see it with Hannah, and then when God decided to gift them with a child, even in advanced stage, look at Sarah, he made it so. How about the greatest example of all? That God is in control of all conception, and Jesus would be born of a virgin by the will of God. Jesus didn't come as a fully grown man, but was sent to this earth and come to this earth just as we all have entered it. God has created you, that's listening, every person ever conceived, and we know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made per Psalm 139.14. You're not a biological accident. You aren't merely just a clump of cells that becomes a person. That's been disproven. You are a creation of God, by God, and for God who weaves together every single aspect of life. Now, there are four differences. This is kind of an apologetic uh, that I want to go over with you, that biologically there are four differences from the moment of conception to where we are today. Um, four things are size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. I'm commonly referred to as the sled ar argument. If you look on YouTube and uh, kind of look at uh, Apologia's approach to abortion apologetics, you'll notice that this right here is used quite frequently. It's very powerful because what's the difference between a born human and an unborn one that justifies killing the one in the womb. When you ask those who are for abortion this question, the answer that you get from them usually falls into one of these four categories. So once again, the four categories is going to be size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. Uh, again, that's, current, that's referred to as a sled test. Now, here's the thing. It is true that the unborn baby in the womb does differ from a born human. That, that's pretty obvious. But none of these differences justify the murder of the baby. So let's start with a, let's start with size. And I'm going to kind of fly through these a little bit. But I want you to study this a little bit more, the effectiveness of it. Just look up videos on YouTube. So let's start with size. How do we use this as a defense against someone for abortion? The arguments typically along the lines of size is a means to judge whether or not one is qualified to be a person. And this falls apart under scrutiny and the logical direction that we can go with it. So because a baby in the womb is small, it's okay to murder them? A four-year-old is smaller than a 14-year-old. Does that mean that we can kill the four-year-old? No. Why not? Because it isn't the size of an individual that gives them human value. It's the image in which they are created in. Now, a little bit earlier at the start of the episode, I was talking about the uh, the issue in New York of the legalization of full-term abortion. Um, and then I mentioned an article that I wanted to discuss on this episode. So get this, whenever I first read this article, whenever I read the topic of the article, the, the headline of it, first I was like, this has got to be satire. There is no way that this is true. I looked to see if it was from Babylon B, but it wasn't. So the topic of it basically, Basically, was that a couple was suing Planned Parenthood, get this, because of a failed abortion. And the baby, they ended up having the baby, and the baby is two years old right now. Okay, so let's look at this from a, from a logical standpoint here. So they're suing Planned Parenthood. Uh, they hired an assassin with Planned Parenthood to go into the womb to kill the baby, and the assassin failed. So now, two years later, they are wanting to sue Planned Parenthood. I believe it is for, for basically like child support, because 
Planned Parenthood, the assassin, failed in the murdering of the baby. Okay, so first of all, could you imagine uh, whenever this child gets up to be maybe like 12, 13 years old, they're finally starting to use the internet, uh, and you know how kids are now, they're using the internet at very young ages. So this child is using the internet, they Google their name, they Google their parents' names or something, and this article pops up talking about how they had tried to hire an assassin to kill you, uh, they failed, and now you're trying to sue the assassin firm that you hired to to kill them. Can you imagine how devastating that would be to that child to know that the parents that you love unconditionally, the ones who are supposed to love you unconditionally, is suing because someone failed to kill you? I could not even fathom the, uh, the way that that would make me feel. But here's the thing. Let's look at this from a logical standpoint, looking at the uh, the size argument here. So this two-year-old, they're suing Planned Parenthood because Planned Parenthood failed to kill him. So let me ask you this question. This two-year-old, okay, why, what is the difference between killing him now versus killing him in the womb at, say, 36 weeks? Just his size. It doesn't make him any less human from whenever he was in the womb compared to now. But again, that goes back to it's not the size of an individual that gives him human value. It's the image in which you're created in. So let's move to the level of development. It's not a person because they are not fully developed. Therefore, it's okay to kill the baby. It's it's the same thing here. There are many instances of a child not being fully developed. Look to premature birth. A child in the womb at 25 weeks. I mentioned a 25-week-old that was born. Perhaps the lungs aren't fully developed. Let's go with that situation. The baby is outside of the womb, and it is illegal to kill the baby, right? And as a matter of fact, it's now openly called a baby whenever it comes out of the womb, though in the womb it would be called a baby. I'm so confused by that. But just prior to the premature birth, it could have been killed in the womb. The baby could have been killed in the womb, and it would have been called being pro-choice. But where do we stop? The same child five years down the road goes to the doctor and the doctor tells you that he is not developed to the point where he is considered average for his age group. He's not speaking the way that he should. His height is below average. Weight is below average. Why can't we kill this child because of his level of development? The the couple who is suing Planned Parenthood, why can't they kill this child that is now outside of the womb because of his level of development? What's the difference there? Because it's not the level of development that gives human life value, but the image in which you are created. And now we move over to environment. A baby in the womb, a baby is in the womb and because it's within that environment, the baby can't survive on its own. Therefore, the baby is nothing more than a parasite. Okay, so where do we draw the line? What about and this is a little out there, but what about astronauts in space? They can't survive outside of a spacesuit providing oxygen. Does that mean that their life becomes invaluable? No, and we know that. But a parasite, and I've heard this argument so many times, that the baby in the womb is basically a parasite. Really? That's how you want to diminish the value of a baby? A parasite, uh, according uh, to the dictionary, is an organism that lives on or in an organism of another species known as the host from the body of which it obtains nutrients. Well, obviously, the unborn child is not a different species, nor is it an outside organism that has forced its way into the mother to feed off of. It's natural offspring. It's offspring developing through the natural processes of life. The environment argument falls so short and defies the scientific realm it claims to live in. And that's because it is not the environment you live in that gives you value, but the image in which you are created. Now, finally, we move to the degree of dependency argument. The 
unborn is dependent upon the mother's body for nutrition and a proper environment. Kind of goes back to the parasite comment. Therefore, it's not a person and it's okay to rip it to shreds. This is a pretty easy one. Now, how does depending on someone else disqualify you from being human? Where do we draw the line here? Many elderly people require and depend on others. Are they less human? The scary part here is that that's the way that it's moving. That's why we're seeing such a rise in assisted suicide. Let's go back to the uh, the child um, whose parents are suing Planned Parenthood because the assassins failed to kill him. So the degree of dependency. So the child in the womb depended on the mother to uh, provide nutrients for it, for him or her. And now the two-year-old, two-year-old can't necessarily survive on their own. They aren't developed enough to be able to adequately provide for themselves in order to survive by themselves. So, I mean, at what point do you draw the line? So you have this two-year-old, you had a baby in the womb at about 35 weeks old. The degree of dependency is still there because that two-year-old still depends on the parents to provide for him. So why can't we just rip his head off now. Now let's look at it from another angle. Someone is, and let's use this, someone's in a car accident, right? And they're placed in, uh, they're in a coma. This person has been through a incredibly dangerous surgery. They're placed on a ventilator to help uh, with breathing after the surgery. The doctor comes in the room. They tell you that they believe that recovery will happen, though it'll be very slow. They don't know exactly how much this person will recover. The person's only alive because of the medical equipment that he is hooked to. Does his life all of a sudden not have value? Can we then say, uh, hey, I tell you what, just go ahead and rip his arms, feet, and head off because for the time being, he has to depend on someone and something other than himself. Of course we don't do that, because in our very souls, we know that it's not what someone depends on that gives human life value, but the image in which we are created. So let's move to another question. This this is a very big one. Uh, is there ever a situation in which abortion is okay? And this is what I was talking about, is that um, is there ever a chance where abortion is okay? I said that you probably had an answer pop into your head, either yes, no, or maybe you're sitting somewhere in that gray. So let's talk about it. How many times do we hear others, politicians, Christians, tackle this question? They say that I am pro-life, but... I am pro-life, but I do believe in the legalization of abortion for reasons such as rape, incest, or instances in which the mother's life is in danger. We've all heard those arguments, right? So you're basically saying that you're 97 pro-life with a pinch of pro-murder. You're like Emerald Lagasse. You're trying to trying to add a little bit of spice to it. Bam. So you're 97% pro-life with a pinch of pro-murder. A 2018 study says this. Here are just a few statistics here. 1% of all abortions in the United States are the result of rape and incest. 3% are the result of the mother having a health problem. 3% are a result of health problems of the baby. That's a slippery slope there. A child is born with Down syndrome. Why is it then okay to, why then is it not okay to murder them outside of the womb? And that falls under the level of development and degree of dependency, right? So guess what? Children born with defects are still made in the image of God. Let's understand that. And let's be honest. Children born with defects are still made in the image of God. I want to reiterate that. 21% are not ready for responsibility. I guess they should have thought about that, right? Kill a baby because I'm not responsible. 12% have relationship problems. So kill my baby because I hooked up with the wrong person. 21% can't afford a baby at that time. So kill the baby because of monetary issues while ignoring government programs and options such as adoption. People, if you're listening to this and you are considering an abortion because of monetary issues or any issue whatsoever, please reach out to me. I will adopt your baby. 
16% are concerned about having a baby, how it will change their life. So basically kill my baby because I don't want to give up my lifestyle. That is the epitome of selfishness. If you're listening to this and you're concerned about how having a baby will change your life, I promise you, I will adopt your baby and I will love your baby and I will always see your baby as changing my life for the better. So let's go back to the instances of uh, rape, incest, and abortion when the mother's life is in danger. I want to go here because these are generally the most common exceptions given. Let's understand this first and foremost, that a child conceived by rape and incest are no less made in the image of God than you and I are. Rape is a very, very terrible act. It's a forceful act. It's one that uh, violates the victim's body by no fault of their own. But is that so different from abortion? Let's talk about that a little bit more right after this quick break. Robert here, co-host of Growth Project Radio, and I want to tell you about Grace Alone Witness Apparel. This ministry is dedicated to providing you with biblical apparel and gospel tracks to help start conversations for the gospel. They firmly believe that it is the responsibility of all Christians to be obedient to the command to preach the gospel, and they want to help you to do that in any way that they can. They have many designs that are bold and biblical that are sure to spark conversation for the gospel to the glory of God. They also do custom work as well as bulk orders for all needs from personal to ministry to outreach, they can take care of you. Visit gracealonewa.com for more information. Welcome back to the 5S Podcast. So we were just talking about abortion. Is it permissible to ever have an abortion? And then we looked at some instances that are typically in that gray area for most people. Is it, I am against abortion except for in the instances of rape, incest, and whenever the child's life is in danger. So we were just discussing that those that are conceived due to rape or incest are no less made in the image than you and I are. Um, We were discussing rape here right before we went to break, that rape is a very terrible act, a forceful act. Uh, It violates the victim's body by no fault of their own. And here was the question, is it so different from abortion? A baby is murdered in the womb, its body violated as the body is dismembered very forcefully. This act is no fault of the child being murdered. How is it just for this child to pay for the sins of the victimizer? I get that this is a terrible situation. I get that this can be incredibly, incredibly, incredibly traumatic. Did I say incredibly? Not only is this woman traumatized from the memory of the rape, uh, from a mental aspect, but she also bears the child of the rapist. This is very emotionally charged situation. It's a very small percentage for abortion, but it does happen. Now, as a man, here's the thing. I can't fathom that that kind of violation, but I know that God has created everyone in his image and that life matters. I know that a woman has the right of self-protection and emotional security. I also know that love is greater than all of these things, and not many things on earth can replicate the love that a mother has for her child. And on top of that, the love that a child has for his mother. I know that nothing can overcome love. And how do I know this? Because it was such an act of love that rescued us from our sin when Christ went willingly to the cross. So now let's look at this from incest. It's the same thing. That child does not have to be murdered because of the sins of another. This one's a little bit more obvious, uh, in my opinion, than the rape situation. After all, we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had children, and how do you think the world populated from there? We are all defected. It's only a question of degree. That doesn't make it right, of course, but you know, at that point, the gene pool is a little less impure than it is now. But how about 
when a mother's life is in danger. Um, I want to read a statement that was signed off by, uh, by thousands of doctors. It says, There is never a situation in the law or in the ethical practice of medicine where a preborn child's life need be intentionally destroyed by procured abortion for the purpose of saving the life of the mother. A physician must do everything possible to save the lives of both of his patients, mother and child. He must never intend the death of either. When a mother's life is in danger, all steps should be taken to save both lives. Measures should definitely be taken to save the life of the mother, but never should the intent be to terminate life, but to save it. And this is the argument New York has given. Allow full-term abortions for mothers whose lives are in danger. There have been many tweets sent out ever since this of of doctors in this area who are basically saying they know of no situation where an abortion must be permitted in order to save the life of a mother. But understand that full-term abortion is not a few-minute process from everything that I've researched on this, it's at minimum about a two-day process. In what situation do you have a life or death situation and say that you were going to wait two days for a solution? At the full term, why not move into inducing labor or C-section? But no, if we are in New York, and you know there's other places as well, we must murder. We must assassinate the child in the womb. And God condemns murder. Genesis 9, 6 says, whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God made he man. What then does that say about our nation? Of course, we all love the red, the white, and the blue, but what does our desire to permit such treacherous acts say? I think that it shows a very clear moral collapse of a society that's under the judgment of God. It's a nation that has been given over to its sinful desires. After all, not only are we shouting our abortions on the corner, but we're also defying what God has defined as as, as true marriage between man and woman in the allowance of uh, same-sex marriage. And honestly, we shouldn't be surprised if God started to rain down fire upon our nation. Now, there's, there's one last thing that we have to cover with the top of abortion, this heinous and brutal act of murder, how do we evangelize those who are considering abortion? Here's the thing. This is incredibly emotional, but our message to those who are considering abortion is that there's another way. The child that you carry is precious in life just as you are and does not deserve to have its life taken no matter what the circumstance is. We can offer resources church. We can offer resources. We can care for the weak. We can offer support financially. We can offer shelter. We can offer help. We can offer adoption services. As I said openly on here, if you are thinking about murdering your child, I will adopt your baby. There's no shortage of things that we can do to impact this area. And I look to um, to, to to my brothers who are out on the corners who are going to the abortion mills preaching the gospel. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to proclaim the gospel. Um, I, you know, honestly, there there's a few people that I have in mind, but I think I want to try to uh, reach out to some of these guys who go out to the abortion mills and who are preaching the gospel there just to get a different, uh, more insight on how they evangelize to those who are considering murdering their baby. So here's the thing. How do we evangelize to these people? What, what you know, there's another way uh, we can offer all the resources that we possibly can. So what about those who have had an abortion? I know people that have had abortions. Um, I told my pastor a few weeks ago that I actually had a uh, friend years, years back. Um, this was before I was saved, um, and I encouraged them to have an abortion. I am very ashamed of it. Um, you know, I, I, I look at it, you know, that I'm just as uh, responsible for that murder as anyone else. Um, I just want to be incredibly transparent on this, is that, that I have been in involved in this sin of abortion, that I have been involved in the murder of a child in the womb. Incredibly ashamed, but so incredibly thankful for the mercy of God in saving me. So those who have had an abortion, how do we evangelize 
these people. We evangelize them by letting them know that there is forgiveness for this sin. And, you know, we might say, you know, it's so severe. It's, it's such a terrible, terrible sin. It's murder. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, if you hate somebody, you're as bad as a what? murderer. So don't feel so self-righteous, people. You may not have killed any babies or anyone else, but if you've hated someone, you are a murderer at heart. Can murder be forgiven? Look at Paul. He was a murderer. He was a blasphemer, yet God extended to him grace and offered mercy. As I said, I know people who have had abortions, multiple people. Maybe you do as well. There's forgiveness, people. Let's be clear on one thing, uh, because the last thing that I want is for this to seem like I'm bashing just women. It's not just the mother who had the abortion that needs to be forgiven. It's the mother for going through with the abortion. It's the doctor who wickedly goes into what should be the safest place in the world, in the womb, and assassinates the unborn, ripping off the arms, the legs, and the heads of a baby and calls it health care. It's the father, especially the father, who allows such a crime to be committed against his family rather than being a man and caring and providing for the mother and the child, but instead gives a nod to have the baby murdered. It's the supporters of this wicked movement who help to fund the killing of innocent babies. It's those who stand on the corner saying, shout my abortion or shouting uh, my body, my choice. It's a corrupt government filled with Democrats and Republicans who do nothing to stop this modern Holocaust. But there's forgiveness. There's a place that you can cast yourself down in humbleness and brokenness and have all of your sins cleansed. And that's only found before a bloodstained cross, stained with the blood of Christ. And when we are repentant, whenever we trust fully and solely in Christ for the forgiveness offered, we are no longer seen as murderers. We're seen as spotless and blameless all because of Jesus. That's imputation. That is the righteousness of Christ being given to me by faith alone. And this includes the grotesque sin of abortion, this satanic sin of murder. We are innocent before God because the innocent of Christ is given to us by faith. As terrible as the murder of a baby in the womb is, that is also a sin Christ conquered whenever he rose from the dead on the third day. There's one thing that I want to uh, to end us with is please don't sacrifice the word of God by siding with the world. Don't diminish the value of human life by remaining silent on this issue. Prayerfully consider how you can be used in this fight. And it is a fight. And put it to actions. Be stewards of Christ and not cowards as Satan desires you to be. Trust in the faithfulness of Christ through the promises of the gospel and preach it, brothers and sisters. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to uh, end this episode here. Uh, I'll tell you what, this was a this was a hard episode for me. I had to, uh, you know, honestly, I had to pause the, pause the uh, recording a few times and, and, and pray. I shed a couple of tears. <laughs> doing the episode. So I'm very passionate about this topic and I promise you I'm going to do it a little more often. So look, some exciting things are coming from the Five Solos podcast, the 5S podcast for short, however you want to refer to us. I'm super excited about it. I've loved doing the podcasting so far. And you know, I have to say that the guys over at the Christian podcast community, specifically Andrew Rappaport of Striving for Eternity Ministries, he does the Apologetics Live um, podcast with Matt Slick of Karm.org. He uh, does a daily episode called The Rap Report. His name's Rappaport, the rap report. That's a good play on words. I got to give him that. Um, but he also does a weekly episode as well. Fantastic episodes. Um, Colleen Sharp of Theology Gals. My wife loves her uh, episodes. I'll listen to their episodes. And Colleen, I got to say, I really want to get you on the show. And uh, let's talk about Lordship Salvation. That is such an interesting topic. Very, very thankful for uh, for the insight that you have uh giving me on that. Um, I have some very exciting things coming, guys. Uh, very excited about it. But here's the thing. This is something that I, I want to be a little uh, more interactive today. If you have a topic that you want to discuss, I 
it could be guests, however you want to do it. But if there is a topic that you want addressed, let me know. Uh, hit me up on Facebook, James Watkins. Go to the 5S Podcast. Um, you can email me at the 5S Podcast at iCloud.com. Gladly respond to you. Uh, criticism, I, I'm welcome to it. Um, anything that I can do to make the podcast better for the glory of God, I want to do it. Well, guys, I want to thank you again for uh, sitting through this episode with me, a very, very burdensome topic. Um, we're going to do a lot more on this subject, I promise. Uh, so at this time, we're going to wind it down. This has been James Watkins with the Five Solas Podcast. And may all that you do be done for the glory of God.